the text that was read by Kim this morning is the continuation of the message that we started. Uh, I'm trying to see if I have the dates here, but bef- before Easter. And the reason is not because it's, um, I wasn't able to finish it. I, I, I delayed it for two reasons. Easter was here, and we usually take a, a little bit of a um, rest from the text we're studying to focus on the Easter messages, which we did. But now we want to return to the text because I can't afford to give you just a piece of what was started and not complete it. It, it would be like um, a baseball game not completed in nine innings. Or a hockey, well, you don't know much about hockey, so I better leave you there. Um, but you know what I'm getting at. I can't leave you hanging. This is a great text. I love it because it is talking about what the church is really all about. It is not dealing with a man's idea about the church. It's not dealing with someone's view, not a denominational view of the church. It is dealing, my friends, with what God intends for you and for me to know about what we're all about. Uh, You talk to people, and if you ask them, what do you think about the church? And you will get all kinds of answers. You will get people who will say, well, when I think about the church, I think about bingo. When I think about the church, I think about fights. In fact, Christopher Hitchings, who's now dead, but an, an, a non-embarrassed atheist, just not a few days, a few weeks ago, he said the greatest poison that the world has had to drink is the poison of religion. And if, if, if there's anything we need to expunge from, from, from our experience is religion. And there might be good reasons for that. But my conviction and my desire is that as we go through the scriptures, that Sotoville Church will readjust that kind of a thinking in the minds of people. That people who come to this congregation will experience what God intended for people to experience as they become a part of his visible body. For the last 25 years, the concern of the church has always been how big the church can become. When the concern of the Bible is how healthy the church can become. As a result of that, you have 101 different books that you can buy, purchase concerning how to grow a church or this, I love this one, how to do church. That, my friend, is totally unbiblical. Because as we will see this morning, that that what God wants the church to become is a healthy expression of life. I'm not talking about the kind of life that you see on television. Jesus made the statement to his disciples when he came in John 10. I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. 
I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. We're not talking about a, a gospel that makes you richer. We're not talking about a gospel that makes you more beautiful. Because they now have gospel exercise that if you exercise, you can become gospel beautiful. I don't know what they mean. We have all kinds of spiritual packages that we sell, that people can buy. And the tragedy of that is that when we buy it and when we use it, we want to send it back because it doesn't work. So we come to the scriptures to see just precisely what did God intend the church, the visible expression of the invisible church, what does God expect? What has God done to make us a distinct assembly of people rather than a number of people who meet to do their thing? I, I, I saw, I, I don't know just what it was, but I, I saw on television, I was watching part of the religious program and uh, this couple was preaching on marriage, and in the in the in the audience they had a bed made with silk sheets and and all the stuff. And I thought, you are kidding me. I I wonder how Paul got along without having all those things. You see, my friends, because we think that if we we give people what we think they need, they will want to come to where we are. But the Bible says that if we become what God wants us to become, he draws all men to himself. So that the power of what we're doing is not in the thing we are doing, but in the one who is doing it, doing it in us and through us. So I invite your attention to Ephesians chapter 4 again, because that is where the ground for what we are is given to us. We started a few weeks ago talking about the provisions that God has made for the church to be a healthy church. And we looked at the text and the gifts that God gave were people, pastors and evangelists and, and, and teachers. And the reason he gave those gifts to the church is to equip the church so that the church becomes the ministry. So that, so that what happens doesn't happen from where I'm standing. But what happens, happens to where you go, where you live. What happens to the body is because of your health spiritually. Not because I cajoled you into becoming something I want you to become. And so we looked at that when we started and we talked about the provisions and why. And we had just gotten to the place where we were talking about the design. What does God want me to do for you so that you become alive in the ministry to which he has called us as a church? And, and, and the purpose is given for us in the Bible. And in your outline... Under note Roman numeral 2, I had just completed an explanation of the design 
and we see, first of all, that he wants us as, as ministers, as pastors, as teachers, as evangelists, he wants us to equip the church. By the way, the church is made up of people who are redeemed that God calls saints. That's what he calls them. You will see that a saint is not a person who is dead. That somehow we go through the process after several years of, of deceased, we say now that person has made it. No, the moment you become a believer, the moment you are connected to God through faith in Christ, you become a saint. But not feel like one. And I, I'm not going to say you might not look like one because I don't know what a saint is supposed to look like. <laughs> you know, I don't know if a saint is someone who walks all day around looking like this. I don't know. I've, we've had people who have done that. We have people who have, who have, who have gone into, into hiding because they feel that if, if they spend their time away from other people, they will not be contaminated by what people are. So they have built community in which they can live. Yet the Lord Jesus said we are supposed to be lights. Light. And he said, let your light shine. And the only place light can shine is where darkness is. You turn the lights off in this place and it will become dark. So here we are. For the equipping of the saints. The word equip means to mend something for the purpose of doing something. It is used by Matthew when he said the disciples were mending their nets. By mending their nets means that when they were catching the fish, the fish were escaping because the, the, the net was not properly fixed. In the same way, when you become a Christian... You bring into the community of believers all your experiences from the past. Some good, some not so good. And so it's the, it's the work of the, 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 the pastor then to, to so equip you so that what has been broken in your past is mended in your present in Christ. What has been affecting you the way you live in the past has now been changed because of your relationship with Christ. You are equipped. You are able now to become a part of the body to participate in the life and the ministry of the church. I see this beautifully portrayed for us in the second chapter of the book of Genesis where, where God makes a perfect garden but he leaves just enough of its perfection though innocent and clean and pure, so that Adam and Eve can go into the garden and take care of the garden. You would think if the garden was perfect, why will, what would be the need? See, what God has done in your life and mine, just as in that garden, He left enough to be cared for by others. So, although you are a saint, God has left enough so that you come into the body, and when you come into the body, and you experience a culture shock, because you are now in a spiritual culture, having come from a humanistic culture or a physical culture, you come now and you, you don't understand. I, re I remember when I became a Christian, I think I told you this, 
I don't need to go into my, my past. It's not that exciting, but uh, there were some things that I used to do that, that I can't believe I, I did them. I, 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 I was uh, yesterday switching station on the radio, and I heard Elvis Presley singing. And I thought, did you used to like him? Because he was my idol. And I remember the, when I became a Christian and invited me to a Christian party. And I thought, a Christian what? And I thought, what do they do at a Christian party? So I went with a great deal of questions. And in the midst of that, I went to my pastor and I said to him, I can't believe I am this happy. I can't believe that I feel so good about being here. I just thought coming from, from you know, you're nothing but a hung dog. <laughs> I, I didn't see how that could make a difference here. But it did, friends. Because something happens when you become a part of the body of Christ. The Bible says you are a new creation. God fits you to fit in. And when he fits you to fit in, you begin to juggle a little bit, to jiggle a little bit, and you begin to say, oh, this, this hurts a little bit. But God is moving the pieces that would keep you from fitting in so that all of a sudden you find yourself enjoying what you never thought would be possible. That's what it means to equip, to help you to, to become a mature Christian, as we shall see in a minute. But then, not only are we to equip you for service or ministry, as I said at the time, you are the ministers. I equip you as ministers to do the work of the ministry. <laughs> the custodian was, was missing for a week because of illness, and so the pastor got up and asked the congregation if, if people could help cleaning the church to make sure that it's ready for Sunday. <laughs> and, and as he said that, someone was heard to whisper under the breath, it's his church, why doesn't he clean it? <laughs> See, there, there's this idea that this is my church. No, friends, it's not my church. And I have news for you, it's not your church. It is his church. Because you see, the church is made of a people who have come to the cross of Jesus Christ and they have said, Lord Jesus, I believe that I'm a sinner, that you died for me. I want to receive you into my life. Please come and be my Lord. And the scripture says, the moment you truly believe by repenting and you become a part of that, the spirit takes you and places you into the body of Christ. And when you become a part of that, you do not come to sit and take it easy. You come to become a part of a living organism. Something that is really stirring, happening. Becoming a part of a living organism, not something that is just there. So what's the service of the church? The service of the church, my friends, is that we become ministers to one another. The text will tell us when we become ministers to one another, 
We care for the spiritual experience of others. We share in the spiritual experience of others. We encourage others in their spiritual experience. We share in the, in, in the service of the church, whatever that might be. I, I told them yesterday, and perhaps I may have told you, about the pastor who used to sit and watch the train going by each day. And the church got very annoyed at that scene and sent a delegation to the pastor to ask him if he would stop doing that. It's embarrassment to our church for the pastor to go and sit by the railroad tracks every day. And when they came to him, he said, I will not because the train is the only thing that moves around here that I don't have to push. Dear friends, I am thankful that I am serving a congregation that that is not true. I am thankful. I know of large, large churches that almost weekly they ask for help because people don't mind coming, sitting, giving, but they do not want to become a part of. The church is to become a ministering body. We care for one another. We serve one another. We love one another. 1 Corinthians 16.5 says this. Listen, listen to this. Paul writing to the Corinthian church in 16.15, I'm sorry. Now I urge you, brethren, as speaking to all the body, you know the household of Stephanus, that they were the first fruit of Achaia and they have devoted themselves for ministry to the saints. They have devoted themselves for ministry to the saints. I, I, I am hesitant because friends... I know of churches where saints don't speak to saints. And if you are to minister to saints, how can you minister to a saint that you do not speak to? to? So when that happens, the church is to, is to come together and to pray and to seek help, pastoral help, ministry help, so that we are able to come to the place where we're able to communicate with one another, share with one another, care for one another, serve one another. Because the key, my friends, to evangelizing the world is where the body of Christ loves itself. Let me suggest to you, in one of these years we'll get to Ephesians 5. Paul, Paul said this, that a man ought to love his wife as he loves himself. Amen. When you love yourself, you want to care for yourself. You want to make sure that you do not hurt yourself. You want to make sure that, that what I do benefit my health. And when we love the body of Christ as we love ourselves, we want to make sure that that body is strong and healthy and growing in terms of its spiritual knowledge. The church is to serve the church. And please do not get me wrong. 
a church that serves itself soon becomes a church that serves the community. Because when you enjoy what you enjoy, as God has promised it here, we will want others to hear it. We will want others to experience it. We will want others, my friends, to share in what we are sharing, sharing in. It's not going to be something where we all huddle in a corner and enjoy one another's company and the rest of the world goes on to hell. None at all. A healthy church will seek to evangelize. That is why, as, 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 as a, a beautiful gesture of what, what is happening here, my friends, that, that we'll have this community outreach where you are invited to participate and to see how we can win others to Christ by reaching out to this community because a healthy church is a church that reaches out. Service by the church for the work of the ministry. And oh my, how many, how many areas of work of the ministry I noticed that Melia's name was under the uh, overhead. I don't know what she did, if um, why whoever put it there. I'm sorry for you, Melia. The, um, people, people just take advantage of a good nature. I don't know. But a few weeks ago, Melia and I and Dwayne had some business with the government. And, and we were sitting down waiting for our turn to speak. And I'm only using her because she's, uh, she comes to my mind doing it. There are others of you in the same way, and I know I can use you as well. But Melia said, what is my gift? What is it that God wants me to do? And I, you know, I look in her face and I said, you know what? From listening to you, I think that God has given you the gift of hospitality and mercy. And there are others of you, my friends, that I want to be able to say the same thing to you. That God has gifted you for the sake of this ministry. That is one reason why I try to bring in others uh, like Liz and, and Kim and others to read the scriptures and to pray. Because the ministry is not about me, it's about us. That's what the ministry is all about. Well, let's go on. For the service by the church. See. For the strengthening of the church. Look at what it says. It is, it is for this purpose that God has gifted the church with gifts for ministry so that the church would build up the body. Build up. That's, that's a fantastic word. To make strong, if you please. I, I love that. I went back to the gym after being absent for a little while, which is a terrible thing to do. And, and when I went there, they have all new machines. And I thought, good night. So I went back downstairs and I said to the gal, I said, man, I said, I, I don't know how to run anything here. So I said, um, can, you, can you get me Patrice? Because she's the one who has my program. And I'm making an appointment to see her because she's going to tell me what to do. But you see, I'm going to tell you what I want, see. I want to go to the gym and, 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 and I, I, want, I want to look so healthy that nobody messes with me. 
I, I, I mean, I, I want to walk, you know. Is that what Paul is talking about? No. Paul is not talking about physical strength, friends. What Paul is talking about is the strength of character and ministry. What he's talking about is that we are strong when it comes to loving one another. That we are able to face tragedies and disappointments together. That people know that whatever happens to me, I have a body that has the willingness, the capability, and the strength to endure with me what I'm going through. That's the kind of strength he's talking about. I'll show it to you in a minute. We build up the body. You see, when I become a Christian, like I said, God doesn't put me into a corner here and you into a corner there. No, he brings us together. Because we can do more together than we can do individually. And so when he, when he comes then, he builds up the body. It is for the equipping of the body to make it healthy, to cause the body. By the way, I, I think I told you this. Um, when I was reading through Judges 13 and 14 and 15, I, I came across the story again, which I've read a dozen times, if I've read it once, this, of Samson. And, and I was reading about what Samson was doing with an ass of a jo- uh, the jawbone of an ass. And what he did with the beehives and, and so on. And for the life of me, I couldn't get Victor Mature out of my mind. <laughs> Those of you who are older and laugh, you know what that means. See, I saw, I saw the movie, I saw the movie, Samson and Delilah. And Victor Mature was, was the man. And of course, Victor Mature. I mean, really. But my friends, the scripture says, listen, Samson became strong when the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. He didn't become strong because of his, of his ability, his built. There was a man who was less strong, smaller than Samson, and he had the kind of strength of character So that when Potiphar's wife said to Joseph, sleep with me, Joseph said, no, I can't do that and sin against God. That's the kind of strength we're talking about. Where we resist temptations as a body of Christ. Where we do not give in to the culture because we feel that the culture must be heard. No, my friends, the culture must not be heard. The culture must see what we are so that we'll understand who we are. Strengthening the church. This is not a one man's job. This is what you and I are called to do. And lastly, let's look at the determination for the provisions. Again, chapter 4 of Ephesians in verse 13. The goal or the reason for the provisions is spelled out for us in verse 13. The word until or till. This whole idea of the ministry of the church should go on and on and on until we become mature. Now let me ask you a question. How long will it take for you or I to become mature? (laughs) So the ministry must go on how long? 
Exactly. I have people, I have people say to me, when are you going to retire? And I say, show me a chapter and verse. Because my friends, when it comes to the ministry, where, where we minister to one another, that never ends. We do that for the strengthening of the body until the goal is that, is that we reach the place where we arrive before God. And like Paul says, my joy is you before God. And let me tell you, that's my joy. It would be a disappointing experience for me if I get before God and any one of you listening to my voice right now is missing. Because the joy of my heart is to so work, so pray, so preach, so proclaim until you continue to change as we shall see in in a moment what we're supposed to change into. The 21st century emphasizes a church that has been identified by its numbers. And I'm not finding fault with that. But I am saying that that's not the emphasis of the Bible. The emphasis of the Bible, my friends, is that we grow in grace. We grow in spiritual, uh, the spiritual sense. Paul says there are three things that should identify our growth. That we grow to become one in the faith. One in the faith. That is, that the faith which, which gave us our relationship with Christ, by which we became a, a part of the body of Christ, that that faith is not a Nazarene faith. It is not a Baptist faith. It is not an evangelical faith. It is the faith of the Scriptures. That we become one in our faith. And perhaps the best way to describe this for you is a story I came across. Some years ago, a person in a Christian ministry from the United States happened to be visiting Romania. It was during the bitterest days of the Cold War as he trudged slowly through the rather busy but beleaguered section of town, bundled up against the biting cold, He was aware of the somber, grim faces of people hurriedly bursting past him. Suddenly, as if in a different world, a man walked by, rugged, coarse, coat wrapped around him, a woolen scarf and a warm cap, tightly sitting on his scalp, whistling a melody. He was whistling a Christian song in Romania. The veteran Christian worker was caught completely by surprise. For that melody was one of the grand but not too commonly known Christian hymn. The great physician now is here, the sympathizing Jesus. Shocked to hear on a busy Romanian street, he picked up his pace, that is the American visitor, to to match the stride of the cheerful whistler. He was aware that he might be under observation, so, not wanting to put the Romanian to risk, he cautiously walked beside him and softly whispered the tune with him. The Romanian stopped, looked, 
and ex excitedly spout forth a barrage of words in a language that this American could not understand. But his face was beaming. Immediately, he knew that the words meant nothing to the stranger, separated as they were by a language barrier. As if by instinct, simultaneously, they both pointed to heaven, laid their hands on each other's chests, clasped their hands in an emotional brace. Not a word was spoken, but the two worlds were joined as they bade each other goodbye because of their common faith. You see, my friends, what the world needs to see is, I mean, people ask the question, have you not heard it? Why are there so many denominations? You know, you know how many Baptist churches there are? And, and the trouble is that they, they do not all belong to the same Baptist group. I think there's some like 1,280 different Baptist churches in the United States. So someone said, I go to the Baptist church. And you say, which one? <laughs> you see, my friends, we should be able to come together. And when we talk to someone from the Nazarene church, and someone from the Baptist church, and someone from the, the, whatever the other church might be, turning point or, or whatever, that when we get together, the common denominator for us is not our practice of our faith, but the one in whom we have faith. That's what they should see. That the difference is the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not going to do it this morning, but I did it some time ago when I was still in Canada. Um, I... I if, if I do it here, you can kick me out. But in Canada, they had me there. They couldn't do anything with it. But I would say to people, tell me your names. And each person would shout their names. And I said, how did that sound? And they said, confusing. And then I would say, tell me the name of the one who saved you. And everyone said Jesus. And there was unison. We must come to the unity of the faith, friends, so that people will not think of us denominationally. They will think of us in a relationship. We like to say it, do we not? Christianity is not a religion. But my friends, we hide behind that very thing. That's the very thing that people see. And, and, and what they have to see when they come to this place is that there is one name that we worship one name that we adore, one name that we love, one name to, to which we are, we, we are devoted, and that name is Jesus. That's what they should say. That we come to the unity of the faith. Secondly, that they come to the unity of knowledge. This word knowledge comes from a very interesting Greek word, epignosis. Almost sounds like a disease. <laughs> epignosis. But you know what that word means? That you come to the full full knowledge that you know Jesus beyond your salvation. Paul was a veteran Christian when he wrote Philippians 3.10 and he said that I might know him. Let me tell you, my friends, what we need to know about Jesus Christ beyond our salvation. We need to know what he's doing right now in heaven on our behalf. His high priestly ministry. The scripture says that Jesus has gone up to heaven 
where he lives to intercede for us so that when we go through the disappointing times here on earth, we have one who is praying for the disappointed on earth. The high priestly ministry of Jesus, he ever lives to intercede for us. We need to know something about the glorification of Christ in heaven. Because the more we know about him in heaven, the better we will live on earth here in anticipation of his coming. We need to know that the gospel is more than saving us. That the gospel is a whole lifestyle that transforms us and put us into a different frame of thinking so that we can live in a way on this earth that makes an impact on what's going on in the earth we li- on the earth in which we live. Peter caught this. So at the end, Peter could say, grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. The writer to the book of Hebrews in chapter 6 says, don't stop at salvation. Go on, go on. From, from, from salvation, go to the things I just mentioned. Get to know Christ deeply. Get to know the significance of the names given to Christ in the book of Revelation. Get to know what the angels do before Christ in heaven now. Because the more you know about his adoration in heaven, the better you will live on earth as you glorify his name. Lastly, we are to grow to maturity, ultimate maturity. Do you know what it is to be mature? It is a tough thing, friends. Paul could say in Philippians 3, Not as though I have already been made perfect. No human being is perfect. You know, it's 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 interesting. When we we, we think that when we reach a certain stage, we, we have reached that stage where that's it, I don't need anything else. But because of time, I want you to turn to Acts chapter seven and verse sixty. I will close with that. I want to tell you what the road to maturity looks like. Acts chapter 7 and verse 60. Stephen is being stoned because of his relationship with God. By the way, one of the persons who stood by Stephen when he was being stoned was the man that we now know as the Apostle Paul. So Stephen is bleeding. He's on the ground where he's being kicked where he has been disrobed by his enemies. All for telling the story of redemptive history. And so he comes almost to the end. And in chapter 7, verse 60, we read these words. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. A mature Christian knows that life is not, death is not the end. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. They know that the grave is not going to be their final resting place. But listen beyond that. Receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud loud voice, Lord Do not hold this sin against them. A mature Christian 
knows how to forgive no matter how much it hurts. That's maturity, friends. When we get to the place where we are able to look into the faces of our accusers and say, I see another face. I am moving. He's using what you're doing to bring me closer to him so that I can speak like him and that I can act like him. Don't. What was the first word from the Lord Jesus on the cross? Father, forgive them. What was the last word of a mature Christian? Father, forgive them. That's maturity. I don't think I have reached that stage. I knew it yesterday driving an I-5. <laughs> I did, I did. Oh, I wish the thought that I am embarrassed to say to you, I, that thought came to me yesterday. Sometimes, friends, God puts us in peculiar positions so that we might be able to say to the world, this is the life of Christ that I'm living. A life I could never live on my own, but a life that is possible because greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. Let us pray. Our God, I pray that you will make us, as your people, the kind of saints that are saints not only by position but in practice. That we will be able to say to our enemies, Father, do not lay this sin against them. I can endure it because Jesus paid for it. I pray that you will make this this congregation, this ministry, known, Lord, beyond the borders of Sotoville, known beyond the borders of Lebanon, known not because it is trying to find its place in the world, but known because it has found its place in Christ. Thank you for the privilege. Make us the kind of believing community that speaks to a watching world for the glory of God in Christ's name. Amen.